Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. the greatest sci-fi series ever written. The story of Dune spans over the course of 5,000 years in six novels titled Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, God Emperor of Dune, Heretics of Dune, and Chapter House Dune. In Dune, the all-female order of superhumans known as the Bene Gesserit have been active for thousands of years. Through selective breeding, they carefully hone their abilities. The ultimate goal of the Bene Gesserit was to produce the Kwisatch Haderach, the super-being of the universe. A male Bene Gesserit with perfect sight of the future and the past. He would be able to look where they could not, and he did come, though not as they expected. Halo, halo, and welcome to the one and only Sacred Icon podcast, where we talk all things Halo. But if you're tuning into today's episode, you're tuning in to Oddball where we talk about things outside of the Halo universe. They say the spice must flow. And as such, today we take a trip to the desert planet of Arrakis for a discussion on all things Dune. I'm Joshua Hargist, and joined with me as always is Brian of House Atreides, and returning friend and God Emperor of the known universe himself, Jeff Tompkins. Jeff, Hello welcome there. back. Hello, ah, guys. General Kenobi! I feel like, I feel like this rush come in and be like, like Josh, you should say, Fear is the mind killer. And then I go, gives you something to think about, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Bottoms up. And the, the devil, devil laughs. It's going to be on so many episodes. People are either going to be like, I need to find out what that reference is, or these guys really need to get over it. It's not that funny. We've been uh, doing that at work so much. Really? Oh, hilarious. 
<laughs> I got to share that clip on Twitter or something sometime. But hey, guys, as you heard, we're going to talk about Dune, uh, all things Dune today, uh, whether it's the recent movie, which will probably be the majority of our conversation, the book or the 1984 film, and just kind of uh, air our thoughts on the, the universe of Dune, what we thought of the movie. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of uh, relevant right now. We're super glad I got a part two. Um, I'll just I'll just start it simple and say, Let's go over to our, our guest first, Jeff, and ask, what were your thoughts? I mean, take as long as you want to cover it all. What were your thoughts on the, the new 2021 Denny Villeneuve film? Like, what did you think about it, Jeff? Man, well, I really enjoyed it. Uh, my biggest critique, having watched the 84 movie and listening to the audiobook and watching the miniseries and just ingesting all this stuff Dune, it did kind of le- uh, end at a... Not so strategic part, I would say. But other than that, it was a beautiful movie. Um, the shots were gorgeous. And I love the soundtrack, uh, of course. Uh, the music was incredible. And, you know, Denis Villeneuve, he just got that great visual style, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah Ryan just said he was watching Blade. Which, which Blade Runner were you Well, watching? I was actually watching the original Blade Runner, but my favorite, as of now, I go back and forth, is 2049, which is also him. So nice, yeah. it's and that's a great movie. That's yeah, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's very good. But man, other than that, I just uh, the the it was a beautiful movie. Uh, after reading the book, you know, uh, I think a lot of stuff was left out, but probably for the greater good, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, uh, man, it was a very powerful movie. It made me feel. Uh, I was super emotionally invested. I would say, yeah, with the with like the, the soundtrack biggest... and the the cinematography and everything. Mm-hmm. Just he has a really good way of getting people invested. I think. That's yeah, well, like I, the think, I think more specifics. Even... Oh, go ahead, Brian. Well, I think more specifics will occur to us as we kind of unpack this. But I don't. My my general thoughts on that in regards to like you know how the movie ended is for decades. Uh, you know, Hollywood has said Dune is the movie that cannot be adapted from the book. Like, it cannot yeah. be the book cannot be adapted into a movie. Like, it's, it's too hard. It can't be done. We saw David Lynch try to do it. It didn't turn out too well. We saw the Sci Fi Channel thing, which sounds like it was received okay, but still didn't really blow up. And what I, in my opinion at least, what I think happened here is Denny Villeneuve was the guy to say, okay, this thing's hard enough to adapt. We're going to have to adapt it in a very specific way, and we're going to have to end it at this point and give it the proper breathing room for the I'm proper. I'm the only human story. who can do it. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so I think when when we talk about how like it ends at a point where it's kind of like that's the ending really like the book's like halfway done and it doesn't have like the most climactic ending. I kind of almost feel like that's what had to be done. The only thing that could have been done better is if you know we had like a Lord of the Rings type of thing where they had let him film all of these things at once, you know and. And the yeah. parts came out more naturally, but I think it's it's really uh, it gives me a lot of respect for Denny Villeneuve that he was able to say, okay, I can do this right, but I need to give the material the proper amount of time, and I'm willing to do that even if it it's not going to cover the whole book. And I think that's what he did. So we're kind of left in this position where it's like for for fans, it's like okay, well we didn't get the whole story, and that sucks. But could we have got a movie this level of quality if he hadn't have took his time and let it breathe? So that's kind of where I'm at. But yeah, I don't know. You got it, thoughts on that? Or yeah, I was gonna say when I when I when I finished watching it, like I was definitely like in that mindset of like, man, that's a lot to unpack. Like I couldn't really figure. Like I knew I liked the visuals. I thought yeah. the cinematography was amazing. I kind of expected that. The moment the 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 score had some standout moments for sure. Like when it's like, <laughs> like I don't know what that is, but I love it. But um, 
I don't know. I don't know. It was one of those things where I was like, contextually, there was the subjectivity of like, I enjoy this. I know what's going on. But then objectively, how confused is everyone else in the cinema who hasn't read the book, who hasn't like caught up on the... In matter of fact, Brian, because you didn't... How much did you know prior going into the movie? Uh, I'd, for, I'd be, you know, for the most part, I didn't know much at all. And I think that you brought up a good point that I was... I probably should get to quickly is that... Um, so when I went to see them, I was very hyped for this movie just because I'm a big fan of Denny Villeneuve and I've liked literally everything he's done, I've liked. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I showed up, I was expecting big things. And then when I watched the movie and I, it, it ended, my immediate thought was like, that was good. I liked it. But I don't know how to feel, you know, like I thought I was going to walk out of the theater thinking this is the best one of the best films I've ever seen. I'm kind of honestly at this point with several rewatches and and thinking about it and reading about it. I am starting to think, wow, this is one of the better movies I've ever seen. But at the time the movie ended, I was like, I just don't think it is very hard material to adapt, you know, and I think he did it so well. But like, even if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes for Dune, it's a great score. But the consensus says you know, basically says something along the lines of, you know, beautiful visuals, properly adapted Dune, but it struggles with the source material at times. That's the one kind of negative thing it says in the consensus. Mm. And I think that's fair because I like to, not to pat myself on the back, well, for all three of us, honestly, I like to think we're all uh, intellectuals that can do a good job of retaining what the movie's trying to get across. We're not the mainstream, like, regular audience that, you know, MCU movies are maybe trying to appeal to. But Mm. even having said that, when we get to the end of the movie, I was still kind of like, it's kind of hard for me to remember now the things I didn't get, but I was just kind of like, okay, what's the overall point here? You know, what's what's happening in the background? What's the importance of the Bene Jesuits? What's the importance of, of him knowing his future? And like, it's just kind of dry and archaic in a way. But then once you start to piece it together afterwards with whether you're reading the book or you're just kind of investigating online... And it starts to come together, and then you go back in and watch it again with better understanding. You're like, "Whoa, this universe is so cool! Holy crap!" <laughs> Wait, you know. So. Well, man, Jeff, you so before you saw this movie, how much recap for us? How much Dune have you checked out, looked into? For the 2021 movie, mm-hmm. I had seen uh, 84 about five or six times, and I watched uh, the miniseries. Uh, through twice, uh, both the original and then the Children of Dune miniseries. So, and then I had read most of the book, or at least, well, I read most of it, and then I started to audiobook it, and then uh, I got like halfway through, and then we watched the movie, and then I finished off the book, audiobook. So, but I loved it, and Brian, I felt the same way. I watched this whole movie in IMAX because they said to watch it in IMAX or whatever, and I turned to Hargis, and I was like, well. What, what did you think? Because I didn't know what to think. It just <laughs> yeah. leaves that. It's like a weird, just afterthought. But that's how the same way I felt after watching eighty four, and I went into that with no context. It was just mm. on HBO Max one day, and I just clicked on it. I was like, "Oh, what's this?" I knew about the worms and I knew about spice, but that's it, literally yeah. it. But I was like, after I was done watching it, I was like, "That's actually pretty good. I'm going to watch it again." And I did, and I watched it multiple times, and I started talking to my friends about it, about how cool it was. No one wanted yeah. to watch it though, because everyone has this opinion on dune that's already preformed that it's on at least david lynch's version that is just a crazy not very good movie but i watched it with no uh you know prior knowledge and i was like this is amazing i mean i it was campy but still amazing and i think everyone should watch it and it is the complete story too so also and that was two hours 20 minutes and then denis vela news was two hours 35 minutes and literally got half less than half yeah to be totally honest but yeah uh, 
It did. It, it just, like it left a weird taste in my mouth, but it was so good though. It was so good. Yeah. It's undeniably good. But it's and that's crazy th- to think. Yeah, it's crazy to think that, you know, it's 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 a little bit longer than the nineteen eighty four film and covers half the content, yet still even people like us were kind of struggling to know our thoughts on it. That just goes to show how hard it is to adapt that, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, but I liked yeah. it, too, because for me, it was like a good sign that, like, well, they did something right, the fact that I'm still thinking about it. Because most movies, it's like you just you discuss it for a bit, and then you turn your brain off. Like, as much as I love the MCU films, same. it's not, like, super thought-provoking. I mean, sometimes, but not not on this. Yeah, thing. no, I mean, that's what's the, the MCU, I mean you know people like to dog the mcu but like it just it is what it is right they're great movies we all enjoy mm-hmm. but they're not usually thought provokers usually you leave it you talk to your buddies you what do you think what do you give it and you right. move on and i think the most thought-provoking uh, mcu film ever for me was infinity war just because of the fact that the characters died it gave us something really like almost profound to think of gives you something to yeah, think about yeah. doesn't it <laughs> Give you something to think about. <laughs> um, well, Brian, no, what, yeah, you I were mean, telling I, me, I gotta, I gotta ask you because we haven't talked about this personally as much. But you were telling me when you were doing like big lore dump and you were just reading a bunch of stuff, you said like the the worm or whatever. The fact that Duke Leto the second becomes a, a giant worm basically was like so weird and out there for you. Have you read any more into that stuff? How are you feeling about all that? Like to, you're talking to me, right, Josh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. um... I mean, yeah, reading through all the like wiki articles, like summing up the books, I'm just like, this just gets weirder and weirder. Like, yeah, you have like, you have uh, Atreides's uh, or Paul's son who becomes Jeffy, like, yup, like yes, a, it's a weird, giant, giant worm with the face, and then you have, I don't know, there's just a lot going on there, and I think that's the kind of the that's what makes the movie so tough. Like, I think when it finished, because we finished watching this movie, and we're like, okay, Denny Villeneuve. It was amazing cinematography, amazing music. The actors all did a great job. I was interested the whole time. But what was this movie trying to say? I think that's what you kind of ask yourself at the end. Like, what was the movie trying to say? Like, most movies, even bad ones sometimes, you can still get what it was trying to say. You know, like Blade Runner, it's like, you know, um, it's a replicant. Like, if it looks and walks and talks like a human and dreams like a human, Mm-hmm. Why don't we treat it like one? Like that's kind of the thought process, you know, like what's the difference between if we're experiencing all the same things, you can draw easy. But then when you when you walk out of Dune, what do you think it's about? You know, like, right. You wouldn't tell point? you wouldn't tell your buddy like it's about fighting giant worms. That's that's not accurate. <laughs> you, you wouldn't tell him about it's about power. Yeah. Desert like, OK, what does that what does that mean? You know, and it's <laughs> like it's just tough. And even now, it's like, how do you properly articulate to someone what it's about you know what i mean because i mean let's kind of unpack that there so like okay because we got time here we got a whole podcast well that's what happened to me actually it was at at work jeff would start asking me about dune or we we would talk about all the movies that were coming out soon and we'd get to dune and jeff like light up and then (laughs) start telling me about like house atreides and harkonnen and all this stuff and was telling me like Paul, this person, you know, and, and who he is, and would just Jeff was throwing me all like the Kisat Chatterack yeah. and Muadib and all these names, and I was like asking him constantly, like which which one's this, which one's that, and that kind of got me pulled into it. And then Jeff, you show, started showing me, I think you showed me a few scenes from eighty fours, and then I think that was no, and then the, then we kind of moved on to some of the sci fi stuff. But then I started listening to the audiobook. all that enthusiasm just swept me up in it. Like Jeff, what what for you like? really has pulled you into it lore-wise, would you say? Lore-wise? Yeah. Uh, as soon as I, like, after watching the 84 version, and I've always been aware of Dune, but like I told you, there's a funny story. I got it confused with the movie Cocoon about the old people, <laughs> yeah. the retirement home. Anyway. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Tremors, but that, okay. 
<laughs> no, yeah. Well, I'm a big Tremors fan, but yeah. Just uh, after uh, watching the 84 Dune, it was like, and I'll just say this, and I think you can agree with me, Dune has this effect on people where it's either like, you liked it, and you want to do, you want to find out more about it, like what are yeah. these things, you know what I mean, that I'm discovering, or you hate it, and you think it's weird, and you just avoid it altogether. Yeah. Like, it's like a straight split of people. Very black either they black. like it or they don't, you know? But, um, that's what happened to me. I watched the 84 movie. I was like, and it was on HBO Max. And I was like, this is like surprisingly good and, and abstract and out there and cool. And he can like see the future and stuff. And even the in the movie, the like weirding modules and stuff, how they do that. I thought that was actually pretty cool. Lots of fighting, lots of cool action scenes. Patrick Stewart is in it, you know? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> with but uh, after watching that a few times, then I started to do more research. And I think the movie was like being made at that point. So, you know, it's just everything just kind of. I just got enthralled in the universe yeah, the, yeah. The, of the melange. <laughs> the spicy yeah. melange. Well, I, I think like I think having to work to figure out what the movie's trying to say, what the story's trying to say is what makes it so compelling. Because like, I started thinking about this stuff after we, I watched the movie and I went and started researching it. Like, I'm more interested in kind of the stories that tell Paul's stuff. I think like a lot of the later books gets a little out there more and maybe it's less focused. Um, oh, yeah. But when Super you but true. when you when you think about what the movie's trying to say, so a couple things, you know, you have the the Bene Jesuits, which you know I didn't realize when I first watched it, but they're kind of like underhandedly controlling the universe in a weird way because they're creating this prophecy of the one, but then they're also the ones fulfilling the prophecy. So it's like, yes, the prophecy's real, but only because they made it up and made it happen. You know, like Paul right. being being the the prophecy so you got all these people that are believing in this prophecy and 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 what is going to come to fruition because of paul and then you get to the point where obviously if you've only seen the 2021 film you're not going to know this but like as this you know when we get to part two and as this continues paul is going to move into the spot of the emperor he's going to to take over and then he's going to lead the fremen in this like galactic scale, like they're going to take over. They're going to have this galactic like army that starts to take over. And it gets to the point in the story where Paul is starting to realize he had good intents and he wanted the good things for his people. But now he is the leader of the emperor with this army that is out of control and he can't control it. And it's now it's become its own beast that's left his hand. So I think what, that Dune is trying to say it's it's, it's like it's de- diving deeper into philosophies about like um, religion and prophecies and rule and normal people versus people in control. And isn't I just, there like a yeah? Sorry, isn't there like a big thing, Jeff? With like, shouldn't you should in there about questioning like leadership and stuff like that? Yeah, you should never follow. It was Frank Herbert's design. He says it multiple times to never follow charismatic leaders or to be careful to follow charismatic leaders. And I think that's a quote, like he directly quotes that in his book. But um, yeah, the big thing is not only just government, but a religious government, you know what I mean? And the dangers therein, uh, you know, and that's like, like think back to like to the, to the crusades you know what i mean stuff like that and that's basically what's happening here but it's not called it's not the crusades it's a jihad yeah. it's more of a of a revolution yeah i mean that's the, i mean that's the thing too is like paul only has good intentions right but even through his good intentions he he's kind of servicing he's kind of serving the galaxy in a in a bad way by be, by being the emperor and by leading these fremen that are out of control he's now going to be seen by people 
you know, as like a dictator who's a harm on them. You know what I mean? So like, right, but then yeah. again, you can, t- then another interesting way you can take that though, is you go back to like, okay, well, why is Paul in this position? Because the Bene Gesserit orchestrated this because they orchestrated right. yeah. the prophecy in him. <clears throat> I was going to ask you, Jeff, what happens? Cause I can't remember what happens to the Bene Gesserit after he becomes emperor. Like, do they, how do they take that? Uh, there's a scheme to assassinate him right away. And he, you know, foresees that and he has the leader of the Bene Gesserit at the time, executed so because of his uh his prescience you know what i mean he he, oh, he sees the uh the scheming happening and that's but he has to allow it to happen too at certain moments especially it's and this is all in uh dune messiah by the way so yeah but yeah he sees this betrayal happening this coup but he has to let it happen in certain ways otherwise other things will happen and with the whole uh, jihad he realizes like halfway throughout the book that even if he died then he's already pretty much fulfilled this you know prophetic yeah. uh you know this uh they call it the missionara protectiva or whatever this prophecy that even if he were to die then the the jihad would still go on through his father's name so he's like i have to i have to step in here no matter what but he tries to steer it away but like you said it's like a beast that gets out of control to the point where it's like it, even if he were to die he would just be a martyr at that point and it would even it would rage even harder so yeah and, and the whole thing is the only the only way this is even able to happen is that the emperor at the beginning of Dune, is fearing losing his power and the power that the Atreides family is garnering in the universe. So he yep. you know, pulls out the Harkonnen. Hark- Harkonnen, am I saying that right? Harkonnen? That's correct, I think. Or am I wrong? It's Harkonnen. The only Harkonnen, version that calls them Harkonnen is the 84 Lynch version. I was going to say, I knew what, as soon as I said it, I knew I was wrong. But yeah, so <laughs> no, Harkonnen. Yeah, so the Harkonnen. I like uh, Harkonnen. They're I both, like the Har- anyway. I mean, both to me. <laughs> But like years we're talking about this at work. Yeah, yeah. They, they pull the the emperor pulls the Harkonnen out and puts Atreides in this place of, you know, they think they're going to have this place of power where they can get the rich the spice, which is going to make them the richest family ever. Spice but they're knowledge. just put there so that he can bring back in his own imperial. The emperor can bring back his own imperial army and the Harkonnen and take Atreides out. So once again, this whole sp- story is spurred by someone in power not wanting to lose their power. And then that ends up, and then you have the Bene Gesserits also, they want to have their backseated influence and their power, and because of, it's a kind of, a, it's weird how they kind of play together, like, because of the Emperor not wanting to lose his power, because of the Bene Gesserits trying to influence things, those kind of coalesce in Paul and his prophecy, which leads him right back to the same spot where he's the Emperor, and there's all this power, and it can't be defeated, and it's just like... Really, I mean, I, I think Dune is kind of, to put as simply as possible, like uh, Jeff said earlier, is like, oh, it's about desert power. It kind of is. Like, that's kind of the central purpose of the story. It's it's about power in in government or religion or whatever, but the he power is all controls kind of the spice, controls the universe. Yeah, it's all kind of filtered through this planet of, of, of Dune, you know? And right. It, it's cool how, like, they use, they use stuff like sandworms in the film to... Because, like, if this was a movie about sandworms, like, I would have no interest in seeing it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily think sandworms are really cool. I don't really want to see a sandworm battle or something like that where two sandworms wrestle each other. But the sandworm acts as more of – it's like a – it's a background threat that's also, like, has a religious element to the Fremen. I'm correct in saying that, isn't it? Because they they see the – they kind of – Bless the the worm, right? Like they respect yeah, it. Yeah, they worship them as gods. Yes, shy halud. Yes, they also yeah. use them as buses. <laughs> <laughs> so they worship them, but they ride on their backs. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. I like the mental image of that, especially. Yeah, so there's just there's just a lot of themes there, and none of them are like. 
I don't know. It, it feels pretty obvious when when Frank, like, okay, for like, for instance, like J.K. or not? Wow, I said J.K. Rowling. That's Harry Potter. When uh, J.R.R. Tolkien is what I was trying to say. J.R.R. Tolkien set out to do Lord of the Rings. It, it's obvious his books are they provide characters and context and easy enough reasons to follow and get you on the hero's simple hero's journey. But with Frank Hebert, it, it doesn't seem like he was. Like it was obviously a passion project and something that he was, you know, he was very passionate about because the book's not, you know, easy to follow. It's the story's no, not like easy to four hours. So I'm I'm like about four or five hours in, and for you guys listening, it's like 21 hours roughly, uh, max. And so far, they've just gotten to Arrakis. They're just still kind of talking like politics and getting an assessment of the place. Like they still haven't really stepped foot out there per se. Yeah. So and that's just crazy in four hours. I mean, you think of how most books are normally like around ten to twelve hours, and I'm just you know I'm like one quarter of the way through that, and so much extra. With how long that first book is, and you compare that to how short the following book is, it's like you can tell when he went to write Dune, like he had all this in his mind, and he was just trying to get it out, you know, just spill it onto the paper with his with as large as it is. Um, what, what, uh, through, through this, at least through this movie, what would you guys say was the character you resonated with most? And I'll just to get this out of the way, my answer would be Paul. So if it's, if it's Paul for you guys, what character would you, what secondary character would you say you connected with most or enjoyed through the film? Hmm, man, I don't know. I don't know. I think that was kind of the thing for me is I didn't really resonate with any of them specifically, but I loved Timothy Chalamet's, um, version of Paul the Gamjabar scene is just amazing to me the 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 movie does such a great job of like conveying so much context through visuals alone and I know that's hard for people who don't really know what's going on but it's like if you know you feel really rewarded in those moments because like that moment he's so scared and you can it cuts over to Lady Jessica and she's like super scared but then it cuts back to him and you know, then suddenly he like gets control of his emotions and stuff like that, and then looks at her and she's looking at him, and nothing's being communicated except the music picks up, and you know this is the moment where like she realizes like she's putting two and two together, like holy shit, this is him, and it's scaring yeah. the shit out of her, but also like bewildering her at the same time. So I I, I loved, I just loved the he like when he needed to be on, he was on, but I don't know. This was definitely as someone who's not a big Jason Momoa fan. This is like my most enjoyable and favorite Jason Momoa mm. film. So I'm almost inclined to say Duncan because he kind of had this like a uh, uh, aloofness to him. Like he was he was there, but he was always kind of off doing his own thing yeah. until like right at the end. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I think it would be disingenuous to say that there's not good characters because there is. But at the same time, oh, sure. um, I don't think this is necessarily a character complete i wouldn't just blatantly say it's a character driven story i would say this is a story that's driven by the themes and the and the world and the visuals m- more than a lot of other films are um for me uh, obviously if i if i put aside paul my favorite character is probably probably uh, duke the duke his father um oh because, you know what he would be uh, my favorite yeah oh, i can't believe i blanked on him Great yeah, he just though, Ryan. he had such an honorable. He was, he was a loving father. I mean, right in the beginning of the movie, he's like, you know, no matter what, you, if you don't want to follow my lead, you don't want to be like me, whatever. It doesn't matter because in the, the day you're my son, and I'm, you're already I'm already happy with that. And he had like, good nah. instinct. He had good instinctive goals of wanting to um, ally with the Fremen, treat them right, do right by his people. You know, he was just a good guy that in the end died. He was he was kind of like, I mean, it's not really was so but fucked he was, up. 
he was kind of the he was kind of the Sean Bean. He was kind of the Edward Stark of the story, where he's yeah. like, he's he's <laughs> he's not in the. He's a great guy, but he's not in the mindset to stay alive. Like he was doomed from the beginning. You know. Well, he kind of knew, didn't he, Jeff? In the in the book, doesn't he kind of know, or does he not? Well, they know it's a trap, but he doesn't know like necessarily he's gonna die. Okay. You know what I mean? But yeah. he tries to hurt to cultivate desert power because he knows that there's uh, more Fremen than the Harkonnen uh, estimate. And he, if he offers a friendly alliance with them, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of power. Well, in the, you know in the movie, doesn't it say something like they thought there was 50,000 on the planet, but there's actually like a million, like at least a million? Yeah, millions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the book, so. it's like 10 million. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah, whole lot of is, more. Which makes sense why they can take over the galaxy once Paul takes power. Exactly, exactly. Oh, so who shit. who was your who was your character that you like resonated the most with or liked, Jeff? Man, I liked honestly my favorite character was Thufir Howitt. He was the Mentat. He was the chubbier guy. Oh, the, with the eyes. Nice. Yeah, with the eyes. <laughs> uh, just because I don't know why I just love him so much. I don't know why he's so uh, funny. I don't know, <laughs> but I did really like him. I liked his screen presence. Uh, I did like Duncan Idaho as Jason Momoa. I thought that his fight scene was probably my favorite part in the movie when he died, dies. Uh, yeah. that was, it was tragic, but also really good, but I knew it was coming. But uh, anyway, it was still a surprise when it happened. It was pretty dope. Uh, man, other than that, yeah, I do like Oscar Isaacs and I do like Paul, but uh, I'm kind of partial to the Paul from the miniseries. I don't know why. I like Timothy Chalamet. Uh, uh. I just I, you know, who played Paul well, in the miniseries? Yeah, his name is uh, Alec Newman. Okay, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the miniseries is great, by the way. I would say that's my favorite iteration of Dune, just because it's the most complete. You know, and it gets was it, past was, it uh, was it critically received well? Do you know? I think it was actually pretty good. It was back in two thousand in two thousand and three for wow. uh, Dune and then Children of Dune. So a long time ago. Basically, every 20 years, Dune gets an adaptation. Did you know, Brian, it actually yeah. covers a couple of the books, not just the Dune itself? The the series does? Mm-hmm. No, which one, which ones does it cover, Jeff? Uh, the first miniseries was three episodes, and it covered the first book, and they were, it was like four hours long. And then the second miniseries is called Children of Dune, but it's the second book, Dune Messiah, and the third book smashed together. So Dune Messiah and then Children of Dune, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah, and James McAvoy plays... Duke Leto the, the second plays his son. Okay, I knew James McAvoy was in it, but I was just like, you know, I wasn't sure. And William Hurt's in there, Susan Sarandon, a couple other people. So yeah, got some probably big a big names. thing back when it came out. I don't remember it obviously at all. Right, happening. yeah, we weren't. Our sleepers weren't awoken then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <I like> that. <laughs> uh, what would you guys say was your favorite scene of the of, of the twenty twenty one film? What about you, Jeff? Do you know? Um, I would have to say. Probably Paul's visions. I like the visions. I think they were done better also in the miniseries. But, okay. uh, you know, it, it was like, what's what's happening here, you know? Uh, but Because they didn't really express that in the book, his visions, mm-hmm. as much as they do in this movie, you know what I mean? And they, it, it, it showed also uh, something that they didn't show in 84 is that his visions weren't always correct, you know? Like, he yeah. saw possible futures, especially with him mm. fighting Jameis and Jameis killing him, which doesn't happen, you know what I mean? He ends up killing him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting stabbed by Chani and stuff like that. It was just possible futures. And that's why uh, he's also not able to, like, fully control the flow of time with uh, with people, you know what I mean? Whereas his son, uh, Leto II, 
gets like perfect vision and can steer people down the golden path mm. whereas his visions were incomplete i can't remember what, where whereas like paul can see like where the Bene Gesserit cannot and stuff can't duke leto the second see like more and into other people's lives too or is it just his own like lineage right yeah well so and then this is there's a bunch of reasons why people assume the Paul can't doesn't have perfect vision, and uh, I, like I was telling you at work or whatever, a lot of people suggest that it's because he was an incomplete Kwisatz Haderach, because the plan was for Fade Rautha and Jessica's firstborn daughter to to conceive and have the Kwisatz Haderach, but Jessica intervened and had Paul. But also, they say that his vision isn't perfect because he ran away from the jihad yeah, he didn't yeah. embrace that but also he wanted to just live with cheney and have a normal life mm-hmm. and he wasn't really embracing shepherding the entirety of humanity down the golden path um but yeah later the second who is his uh second son because his first son is born in the book and tragedy happens but um later the second um fuses with the sand trout and becomes god emperor and has perfect vision but more so whereas paul could see into his past and future um from like the third person yeah Lado the second could like experience those events in the first person like he's lived billions of lives and is aware of all of them all at the same time wow. it's crazy yeah yeah, yeah. No, so it, it, the movie th- this movie does a cool job though of showing that um that paul is pissed that this is now his life like this is his yeah he's having these yeah. visions you know he yells at jessica he's like you made me this way like i'm a freak so it suck. makes it makes sense that when he's emperor off, he man. just wants he just wants to have a normal life with Ch- with chani but instead like she ends up dying and he's he's with the the emperor's daughter and and it's just not what he wants but it's obvious he never wanted this you know it was orchestrated by the Bene Gesserit, you know right does, does the does the book paint jessica as a part of the problem or a victim in all this? Because I, I kind of wonder how I see her, you know? Well, she's always a loving mother up until around, right at the very end. Uh, when she sees Paul, like, almost ascend, she kind of loses her respect. Well, not really respect, but she no longer feels like a mother toward him. But she's always a loving mother. She's always concerned about him. He does blame her, though. It is her fault. She intervened yeah. in the Bene Gesserit plan and had him. And, and then also his sister, Alia, is also another you know like unexpected event because she's born pre-born so she's like born as a as a benny jesuit reverend mother anyway super cool you guys i haven't seen that yet well that was all in the 84 version i was gonna say does the does his sister come in after like would like did dennis like erase that it's during the story of dune right Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's probably main, in part two or part three, depending on how long he stretches it out. But yeah, she's born in the movie and she's or she's born in the book and uh, she's, uh, you know, throughout the book. But yeah, Paul does actually express to her that, that, you know, it's all her fault that this happens in the first place at all. But it's also good. It's good for humanity in the end, because, um, like I said, Duke Leto the second and also Paul knows that there's going to be a battle at the end of time called the Kralizek. And the only way to avoid that is to walk the golden path. And Leto, <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Paul, like I said, shies away from that, whereas Leto too embraces it, but he also knows the only way to do that is to fuse with the worms and live for thousands of years. So, hmm. But also be a tyrannical dictator and take away everyone's spice segregate humanity to all their planets and give them total peace for thousands of years but then they know eventually after he dies like humanity spreads out wars across the universe 
anyway, th- but that's way down the road. Yeah, well, and, and Denny Villeneuve himself says that his ultimate goal is all he wants to do is he wants to do three parts. Part one and two cover yeah. Dune, and part three covers Messiah. So, And Messiah kind of ends Paul's story. Uh, so we'll never, unless the Not studio quite. decides to make more films after, we'll never get anything past Messiah. You well, he's still, yeah. Jeff, because well, he's, he's still in a little bit more, I was going to say, right? Yeah, he comes back in Children of Dune as the, the prophet. Doesn't he? Well, he goes into the desert at the end of Messiah, right? Or am I wrong? Yep. No, he does. Okay. But he comes okay, but he, and he gets eaten by a sandworm. But he comes back because he's. Yeah, he doesn't what? come back in Messiah. No, he that okay. like at the end of the book, yeah, he walks off. But he comes back in Children of Dune okay. as the prophet, and he does his own little subterfuge. He visits like Caladan and gets Jessica on board with her son to train him as a Bene Gesserit. It gets real crazy. It gets isn't real. It, out there. Isn't it called the priest, or is that just in the? I thought it was he's called the priest instead of the prophet. Oh yeah, uh, no, the preacher. The, the preacher. preacher. Okay, we we're both wrong. There we go. Yep, preacher. the preacher. Okay, we're, we worked it out. What, you know what, what what's is, interesting? My favorite part of the movie is kind of a weird cut. There's there's two that happens twice in the film. The two parts where Paul is like listening to the hologram, learning about uh, Arrakis and the Fremen. Those two scenes are the ones that pull me in the most. I just love the way he's that like voice, the voice, that automated voice, yeah, the automated voice, and him learning and the the hologram visuals and stuff. It just completely sucks me into that universe. Like it just completely oh, yeah. draws my attention. So th- those are my favorite parts of the movie. But man, man Brian, I really like you... that first scene, especially because it transitioned into the freight, the space and guild highliner from space. You know what I mean? It's like spice yeah. is undeniably the most valuable substance in the universe. Mm. This uh, yeah. what a beautiful shot flow. too. Yes, full movies. Every shot in this movie could be a background on your computer. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There were some shots that reminded me of like sequel trilogy era star wars like not in aesthetics as much, i get it but just as like the scope and sometimes i love the scale in this movie like it's just so nuts like even as i'm watching david lynch's version like this still has a really good scale to it but like this one really just with the cgi that looks pretty convincing it's like really gets it down there was the one part when i'm, I'm assuming it's the mining guild i actually don't know who it is now but they land down for house trades and they ask you know they pull out the thing and they're like hey we want you to come to Arrakis. Do you accept? Is that the mining guild? It's a little bit of everyone. It's got the okay. spacing guild. They had like the bronze tinted helmets. Uh, members of the Imperial Court, which are probably the finer, the weird like silver helmety guys and a sister of the Bene Gesserit, who's just a random sister. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say like in that moment when the ship comes down, it just completely messed with my like focus like it, I, it looked like scale wise i thought like i was seeing something different and then like it has that back like pan out shot of the whole like weird shape of the ship on the planet and i was right, like holy yeah. shit and then like at the bridge comes down and they're all walking off of it and i was like wow like it's just okay. incredible i got a question that i'd love for you to prove me wrong jeff i, I feel like you won't be able to answer this because me and my okay. wife me and my wife googled this we could not find an answer what is the purpose of wasting all the water on those trees it's a, it's because it's Liet Kine's vision. Liet was one of the the first, not really Nissan Lisan Al Gaib, but he was the first voice from another world, and he was looked upon the Fremen as like a spiritual leader. 
right? Okay. And he would like I kind of bridged the gap between outer space and the Fremen because they were super secluded. Anyway, well, especially the Emperor, he like talked to the Emperor and them. But his dream, his vision, and what they plan to do is they're stockpiling massive amounts of water. Spoilers, by the way, on, underneath the surface of Arrakis in these oh. sieges, right? These catches okay. of millions of decoliters of water, they call it. Anyway, the plan is to terraform Arrakis into a paradise, and so those trees were put there and in the mo- in the book it's a garden uh but yeah it's a huge garden and it's there because of the future that the fremen want is to turn arrakis into a beautiful paradise and free them forever of the spice and everything and that's why there's also in that's why some of the fremen turn against paul in the future because he keeps the spice flowing because he has to uh anyway but yeah they, the huh. plan is and it's liet's plan to terraform the planet. And Liette Kynes was the girl who like showed them into the desert for the first time. She was the yeah. advisor. But in the book, it's, it's a, a guy, guy. Yeah. and it's also Chani's father as well. So Huh. Okay, so so in the movie, am I am I if I got you right, are they so there's actually water going like down to the Fremen from those trees? Is no. It's just no? it's it, he says they're sacred because it's it's like the Fremen wish. Is that the this idea could of be being the a future. paradise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's weird because we actually really we I guess that it's a deep cut. I'm really glad you could answer that because Google we could not like what are the point of the trees in Dune and just book related wikis nothing came up. <laughs> uh, oh no, yeah, it's awesome. because it's Liet it's Liet's wish and then later on there's a in Messiah of Dune there's some Fremen that turn against Paul because he's not following Liet's wishes and Liet was like a spiritual advisor before he dies. So yeah, Man, and then we got our Dune Savant here. Dude, I, I know I love I've it. been I love it. consuming. Just anyway, it's so it's such an interesting <laughs> universe. To be honest, that's why. Just like me when a new Halo comes out, just consume, consume, consume. Yes, consume. Okay, so Brian, did you read up any more on like where Chapter House Dune kind of ends, and then it goes into some of the like it wraps up. The story actually wraps up with the Brian Herbert stuff. Have you looked into that anymore? Well, yeah, there's the final film, there's the final book by Brian Herbert, and then he's done the prequel stuff too, right? As well. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I've read like, all the plot summaries on Wikipedia. Okay, what I've done. So. Okay, nice. What are, well, what are your thoughts even on done that? <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts on like the the Brian Herbert stuff, like uh, specifically Hunters of Dune and then Sandworms of Dune? What do you think about? I that? mean, well, on one hand, I don't really, I'm not really doesn't off of a plot summary, you know. I mm-hmm. what what are my words really worth here? But I don't seem to be a huge fan of them, but to be honest, like I kind of feel like, you know, I know that uh, Frank Hebert died before he could finish everything, but in my opinion, the the quality of Dune gets lessened by the more that was put out, both by him and his son. I feel like there should have been a moment of quitting while you're ahead, which I don't know exactly where I would say that is. I would I would leave that to people who have been Dune fans far longer than I, but. Definitely love all of Paul's story and, and probably some of the Children of Dune stuff, but I don't feel like it needed to go on as long as it did, you know. So I, I would say I could have done probably without. But then again, well, you know, if the story the story wasn't done when Hebert died, you know, you, of course you're going to want people to finish it. That's, but it also that's a good seems topic, like actually, I was going to say it also seems like the, his son focused way too much on. Um, it was less the philosophical and more like battles and stuff, like yeah. more like events. Like a I was going to say, Jeff, can you tell us about be? like? I think it's the Balearian Jihad, what that was, and then because it seems like that's kind of essentially was coming a bit full circle, right? With Marty and uh, what are those two characters? Uh, Daniel and Marty, yeah. Okay. I haven't done too much research into the Brian Herbert stuff, but he did. They do have a whole book about the Balearian Jihad. But what I know is that it's 
uh, this was like in the year like 4,000 normal time, like, uh, you know, AD. And uh, humans had a war with other humans who were in control of thinking machines, basically the rich and wealthy using AI to manipulate the masses, because that's how it was back then. And there was a huge revolt called the Butlerian Jihad, in which, like, you know, regular humanity won out over those who were in control of thinking machines. And that was Brian Herbert's whole thing, is that don't fall prey to people in power, basically. So then, uh, their guilt, after that, there was, the, you know, the prequel books or whatever, and it went into, uh, uh, what is Hunters? it? And that's all AG. Then you got year one of BG, or, uh, that was all BG, and then you get into year one of AG after Guild, which is after the formation of the Spacing Guild, and then it's 10,000 years later. So you're really looking at it's like year like 15,000, right, mm -hmm. if you go by Earth's history. Anyway, so after all that happened, um, and he ended Chapter House Dune with this looming threat, uh, the, the threat at the end of time, the Great War of Humanity called Kralizek. Right, that only walking the golden path we could avoid. Um, at the end of time, basically, and uh, Leto also had to implant a gene, Leto the second, by the way, into humanity called the null gene, so that we couldn't be, we couldn't have the gift of prescience, and we couldn't be presciented upon, uh, because he saw an enemy at the end of time, and that enemy came in the form of Daniel and Marty, who Brian Herbert or Frank Herbert described as face shifters, which are like sh uh, doppelgangers, shape changers. Um, but they can also absorb uh, memory and like knowledge of someone. And so they're basically like gods at this point. However, after he dies, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson changed the Butlerian Jihad to where it's not humans versus humans in control of thinking machines, but it's like humans versus thinking machines. Like, like Skynet, Skynet, right? Yeah. So yeah, humans just versus robots. I think that that's where a lot of people don't like Brian Herbert's work because he drew a huge line in the sand there and said, no, I'm changing this, right? And everyone is like, no, that's not true. That's not Brian Herbert's wishes. It's all about uh, like government and leaders in charge, not so much a great It doesn't really machine. fit the pre-established stuff that he was doing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, and then where... Frank Herbert left off this looming threat as Daniel and Marty. Brian Herbert picked it up and changed them from face dancers into old machines that are still alive from the Butlerian Jihad 10,000 years ago. So, yeah, that's where a lot of people get divided, I think. But I also haven't – like, I'm trying to read the books one-on-one. -on -one. I've done a little bit of plot summary, but not the Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson stuff just because I know it gets out there. But, uh, you know, I'm yeah. excited to read it all and learn it all, but that's all I know so far. Yeah, huge shout out to Quinn's ideas on YouTube because that's what Jeff oh, yeah. showing me a lot of his videos. That's where I actually got some inspiration for the intro um, because he's got like all these summaries. So if you, any of you guys are like hearing this or interested in the lore, go check out Quinn's ideas on YouTube because he has, I mean, it's just great summaries, super long, great visuals and everything to accompany it that are super lore specific. I was going to ask you though, Jeff, what was the book you were looking forward to the most to get to you said and then why? Uh, definitely God Emperor of Dune. That's mm -hmm. where Leto the Second fully becomes a worm. But it's also the same book in which he meets his death too. But I've heard okay, oh, shit. but through like pressure from the publisher, right, is that he had to kind of crank out these books. But a lot of people don't like Messiah, and that's fine because it's way shorter and it's kind of fucked up. Then you got Children of Dune, which people think is better, but also still has a lot of 
issues with it. Whereas God Emperor of Dune is like the the like masterpiece, the hidden masterpiece in the middle of this of this uh, you know conundrum or whatever. Yeah, but people say it's really profound, really good. Uh, and then it kind of falls off again. However, I've read recently that people are like, when he wrote Dune, he was already at genius level intellect. In each book, like he goes up 20 IQ points. And each book is just more profound and more intelligent than the last. So I'm super excited to read them all in order. And I've kind of tried to stop on spoilers and stuff until I can. But I still will watch the Dune miniseries because it was fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I I actually, you know, like obviously I don't, I didn't want... Uh, Frank Hebert to die or anything like that, but I like when stories have endings, even if they didn't finish their work, because what, what I really don't like nowadays, and I kind of touch on this when we talk about Halo, but like I, I don't like stories that aren't designed to end. Like I'm not right, really yeah. about that. I'm not really about that. And, and if you're somebody right now in a corporation who owns a property like Halo or Star Wars or Marvel, it's never going to end, and that's by design. Our kids, 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 kids will still be in the story of these of these things. Or and if they're not, the MCU, some, you got to go back to two thousand eight, you little shit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's one of the reasons why I like Lord of the Rings so much. It's my favorite thing, is because like to me, like um, J.R.R. Tolkien just kept fleshing out his universe and making it better and creating until he died, and it was just all good, and it has an end. Like, sure, people can come around now and make new stories in Middle-earth, but it's not really canon, you know? It's not by him, so it has that definitive end. And Dune, even though his, you know, much like J.R.R. Tolkien, his son continued with works, but you can get to the end of Frank's work and just go, okay, this is this is where he, he died. He didn't go any further. This is what we have. This is his vision, and I, I like that, you know? So I, I think it makes it for a better universe. Um, hopefully we can come back to this if I'm going too far off topic, but something I really wanted to mention, I talked to Josh on the phone about, um, is I really love how we seem to be in this like renaissance of film, almost from like the eighties or something. And right. Some of, yeah. And it's somehow it's some of my favorite movies ever. Like I'm, I'm realizing this is Halloween ghostbusters fucking <laughs> dude. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, but I'm realizing these are some of my favorite movies of all time. Like if you go back to you go back to the '80s and stuff, you had like Blade Runner, um, you had Runner, Mad yeah. Max, you had Mad Max, oh, yeah. you had um, Alien, uh, and even though most people wouldn't say it's a classic, you had the 1984 Dune. But you see all that kind of happening again. We got Mad Max Fury Road, which is one of the best for me personally, one of the best films I've ever seen. I love Fury Road so much. And then after Fury Road, we got Blade Runner 2049, and I don't know like exactly how to articulate what I'm trying to say, but I know other people online have said the same thing. Like Blade Runner 2049 kind of felt like for people who liked Mad Max Fury Road, 2049 kind of felt like the next thing. Like it was like here's another high quality uh, contemporary version of the kind of films we get in the 80s. And Dune to me feels like that third step. Like it's kind of like the Holy Trinity to me right now. It's like Mad Max Fury Road, Blade Runner 2049, <laughs> and Dune. That. These three amazing films that have that like classic, you know, it's the slow pacing. And I guess you could argue that Fury Road doesn't have a slow pacing, but my counter to that is that Fury Road is it's a chase from the beginning to the end. So right, even yeah. though it's it's not slow pacing, it's it's kind of it is the same pace the whole way in a sense. Um, but those three films are just like god tier films to me, and and it, it's cool that we're re experiencing that. Also, you have like Frank Hebert. You know, he wrote the Dune books and it has all these profound concepts and it got made into the movie. You have uh, Do uh, do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. I forgot the, the author, um, but obviously that's the book that inspired Blade Runner. And you kind of have the same thing happening here again. 
And it just feels like we're now in a time where we have the technology and we have the talent to do these things even better than they were done back in the 80s. And I just love these type of movies. Like my favorite films of all time are Lord of the Rings. But once you push them out of the way, it's movies like these, these ones that are slower paced with these like profound ideas, you know? Well, it's interesting to me because like when you look at, okay, like if, if, if Danny was to make Fellowship of the Ring today, if he made it similar to the approach that he went in with this Dune one, I feel like he would have all that exposition like the first, like really, it, it, like Fellowship of the Ring would be split into two parts, and Probably. they'd have all the Tom Bombadil stuff, all the Barrow Down stuff, all the stuff before like the Prancing Pony, and then getting up to the Council of Elrond, and then probably ending there. And then the second film would be a Council of Which Elrond. It's funny because when the, when you get the discs out, that's actually they're split into separate. Where it, where it stops, anyway. I know, but it's just like it's yeah. interesting because it's like I can see when I when I watch the '84 version, I can see why the pacing's moving as fast as it is because there's so much exposition that like. It does help. It does. Well, actually, I can get your input on this too, Jeff. But like the first half of the book, would you say walks so the second half can run? Yeah. Second act. So, so, so many things happen so fast, but it's amazing and it's like gripping, you know, but yeah, you're right. And it's the same problem here. Which I do, Dune 2 is going to be fucking awesome, you know, like from start (laughs) to finish. Whereas this was like really a slow burn, but it was such a great slow burn. But, uh, yeah, if they keep the same pacing, I don't know. It might even be three movies if they keep the same pacing because holy shit. But, uh, <laughs> no, I think part if part two is going to be freaking amazing because I just finished that on the audiobook And, like, I the first thing I wanted to do, not only did I just sit there for about an hour and just contemplate. Just process it, yeah. Yeah, holy sh- cow. But I just wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> holy sh- cow. cow. <laughs> I got to. Anyway. But uh, <laughs> I, the, the first thing I wanted to do was either read it on my book or re-listen to it because I do really like the audiobook. I've never listened to a full audiobook, and that was a, a cool experience as well, right having it be yeah. doing. Yeah, and that, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's it's crazy. It's out there, and it's awesome. No, and I'm okay, with you, Brian. I, I think... would like to... Go ahead, Josh. Oh, you're so nice, Brian. No, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I'm with you, though, Brian. I, I see a lot of that returning nowadays uh, with a lot of the, the modernization of stuff, and like... I feel like some of that was happening like five or six years ago, but it wasn't quite landing with certain things. But Mad oh, yeah. Max did, Blade Runner twenty four ninety nine did, but like You're some not things just... like ten years ago with all the like uh, with all the remakes and reboots. Then you know what I mean. But now yeah. it's like they're getting nailed. Whereas then it was like yeah. we really need these, and now it's like yes, we need these, and they're awesome. Well, I like yeah. slower paced movies, which are I like that they're making a comeback because in the era of MCU, people want nonstop. Humor, yeah. quips, and action. Humor, quips, action. Don't make me go five minutes without humor, quips, or action. You know, well, you know, it's totally I, good I off subject. Question, Brian. Uh, how did you feel when you saw that Venom was an hour and a half? Even though I know you weren't super interested in the movie, but how did you feel about that? Do you feel like you like the idea of films being longer? Where, where do you stand on like the time? Because now we're seeing films get super long to the point that when it was revealed that Venom was going to be an hour and a half, people were like, "What? That's so weird." Well, what's your thoughts on that? It's kind of hard for me to because the answer is both yes and no to me because I actually feel myself getting more excited for movies getting shorter. I'm excited for the. I was excited that Venom was an hour and a half, but the caveat there is the reason I was excited Venom was an hour and a half is because it's Venom. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's. I don't I, care to about be, the movie. Is- to be fair, to to not be hateful against Venom, for instance, let's say something like Black Widow, the you Black Widow it. movie. What's that? Did you watch Venom? Yeah, Venom. Dude. Yeah. What did you think about it? <laughs> I was entertained, but I thought it was awful. I thought it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> Horrible movie. Could have um, used another half an hour. 
Uh, uh, personally, I could have used half hour less probably, but <laughs> I just thought it was bad. But uh, no, but to put it in a different perspective, like the the Black Widow film with Scarlett Johansson, I really enjoyed that movie. I actually really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have been fine with it being an hour and a half. So when I say like I like movies being shorter, it's not because I think the movie sucks. Like I even good movies could be shorter, but that's where I say like it goes both ways. Um, for something like Dune, give me longer. You know what I mean? Like, give me, make it three hours, make it four hours, give me make more, it five. Give me more. You know, no, or like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. But I don't yeah. know. Like, if you're gonna make it long, give make it a give it a purpose. I feel like so much anymore. People are like, oh, well, film has to be over two hours now. Like, this is the world we live in. It's like, no, just like make it worth it. Um, I think yeah. about, and this is this is kind of way out there, but like, I recently watched the show on Netflix, Midnight Mass which is just a one-season, seven-episode thing. There's not going to be a season two. Each episode's an hour, and it's seven hours long to tell the story. So to me, it's almost more like a movie, but they spend so much time just having two characters talk for three, four, five, six minutes straight with nothing else happening, and they're just having an engaging conversation. And I'm like, that's the kind of stuff that pulls me in. That's the kind of stuff I like to see in movies. I like the slower pace more, you know, and I, I like seeing that with Dune. Well, I was going to say, that's what I actually really love about the book so far, is that so much of it contextually is conversations. Like, when I read most sci-fi books, so much of it is always trying to describe ships, uh, planets, um, terrain, just all different types of things. There's always just descriptions for things. And, like, I love going into my theater of the mind, but at the same time, I kind of, like, so much time gets spent on that. And so much less time gets spent on, like, actual character exposition, Mm -hmm. like, development and stuff. I'm more fan of the latter i like the exposition between characters and stuff and then i i can get the most vague you know playing tabletop i can get the most vague um explanations of something of like a room and i can just run with it i'm fine with it it's more that what the characters are saying that i care about so in dune that's what it has so much of in that first half is just so much stuff about the characters and it's it's amazing seeing the book and then you have david lynch's 84 film you have Denny's uh, 2021 film, and then you have the sci-fi one um, from 2000. And each, like, for example, like, each version of Leto is, like, similar, very stoic, but also a little bit slightly slightly different in how, like, they go about things, how it carries himself. I love that because it's, like, there's still this sort of, like, semblance of, like, similarity, but it's also distinct enough. It makes it makes every version of it fun. What did you say? What was the word you used at work, Jeff, for, like... It wasn't like it wasn't an anthology. It's like Elseworlds. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like Earth one hundred one, Earth one hundred two, Earth one hundred three. It's all these different, slight variations of the same thing, which I love. But like I said, the miniseries is the best. Hmm. <laughs> okay, I was going to ask you, Jeff. What would you give for scores? What would you give nineteen eighty four film, the sci fi series, and Denny Villeneuve's film out of ten? Out of ten, I yeah. would do eighty fours, uh, probably a. S- Seven. And honestly, okay. the practical effects in that will blow you away. But like that, they used to do that heavy then. Now it's all, you know, like green skiing and, and trickery. But mm-hmm. it's amazing. And there's a lot of campy moments, sure. But at least it was the whole story. It was pretty condensed. They left out a lot of stuff, but it was the whole story. Uh, the miniseries, I would put at like an eight for both. Maybe a seven for Dune. Nah. I would do an eight for both. Eight first, Dune, and then Children of Dune, because they are so faithful. They're each mm. four hours long, like perfectly four hours, and they have pretty much every detail. And 
It's really good. People make fun of their hats and stuff, but it's like I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. I love the set design. I love the costumes. I love getting transported to different places, and that will do it. You know, there's really cool, also abstract visuals, especially when uh, uh, he's like uh, meditating and seeing into the future and probing the future. You see a lot of cool effects they used back then. You know, and it holds up today because it was Sci-Fi Channel, and it all looks like shit, but it looks good. <laughs> I really, I really like it. But uh, and then this one, I would put. You know, I think I'm going eights, eights across the board. It's all great. Dune is a great series, and I love that each moment, each moment in time in history, like exposes more and more people to it. Uh, because, yeah. like I said, either you get fully engulfed in it, or you're either all that's in. That's weird. All out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 But you're you like, said seven for eighty-four, right? So you that's the worst do, yeah, of seven. the bunch. Yeah. 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 Okay. But it's that's still fair. good. It's still worth watching. It, don't the don't the energy shields look ridiculous in eighty four? They do. They Awful. look like two Minecraft characters. Fucking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do though. Yeah, that sounds about right. I just got to that scene recently. Like for those listening, I'm watching. So I'm like a quarter of the way through eighty four's Dune. I've only seen Dune twenty twenty one once. You guys need to say how many times you've seen it. But uh, but the sci fi one, then Jeff's kind of showing me at work on our on our uh, work break. So. I've been watching a little bit of that, but how, yeah, how many times have you guys seen Dune 2021 now? Jeff, with you. Three times. Oh yeah, <laughs> three times. Here. Okay, three times. Three each. times. Holy shit! And it's worth watching it with the with the uh, subtitles on for That's sure. That's what I did the second time. Stuff. Nice, nice. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff you don't pick up on, you know, like uh, especially him having almost it's like a prescience type thing where he's hearing a voice or a voice is playing over the audio. But like when he walks into the room for the Gam Jabbar, you hear a voice say, who are you? Right. And then when he first kneels in the spice in the sands, you hear uh, the Kwisatz Haderach has awakened. Right. And then when he's having yeah. another dream, Hell yeah. you uh, it says, Paul Atreides must die for the Kwisatz Haderach to rise. And you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have heard that or really made that out in the cinema yeah. unless you had subtitles. Yeah, well, for but me, for me, like, I mean, I know, I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but for, I know for me and Josh, we're people who, growing up, we would see movies at the theater a ridiculous amount of times. Josh always talks about Mortal Kombat and the nine times oh, he yep. saw it. Oh no, um, eleven. And, and I. Eleven? Yeah, two more oh, than my that. bad, Josh. <laughs> um, and like, I would, I used to go see movies in the I theater a lot. Of, I, I think I saw Batman: The Dark Knight Rises like six times in the theater back when oh, it came nice. out. Um, but wow, the so, fire rises. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel in charge? <laughs> um, but nowadays, I'm more likely to see it in the theater at a max of of twice because just because of bills and. And oh, yeah. all that stuff. stuff yeah. So time, yeah. So usually about twice. But because Dune is on HBO Max, I've seen it three times already, and I'm gonna watch it a fourth, maybe a fifth, because it's at no loss to me. It's just conveniently at home. But I did see it the first time in theater, of course, because I wanted that experience. I'll do the same thing for. Well, obviously, part two is not gonna be on HBO Max, but uh, I'll definitely always see it in theater once. But yeah, it's just easy to watch it over and over again when you have HBO Max. So it's it's kind of cool. Brian, what was Erica's thoughts on it? Like, I, I don't know if we talked about that coming out of it. Like, does she, was she, regardless of how she felt, though, too, has she wanted to look any more into that stuff? Has she wanted to watch Lynch's film or anything like that? Any curiosity? Uh, yeah, no, she uh, she really loved it. Um, she read the book long before um, we oh, nice. saw the movie. Okay. So, yeah, she already liked the story. She loved the movie. Um, she thought it was great. Um, she watched it again with me a second time, which, you know, 
Erica's not somebody to want to like sit and watch the same thing over and over again. So that was some saying something that she wanted to watch it again a second time with me. And she said she wanted to make sure we watched it a third before it goes off HBO Max, which is it's got 30 days on there. So nice. she definitely really likes it. She tweeted about it the other day. You can tell it's something that's you know because she's I mean more so than me actually. She likes movies that are and we both love movies that are thought provoking and stuff. And that's what you know sticks with her. Dune you know, so, is yeah, definitely thought provoking. Very, very good. Very good. Some of the most thought-provoking I've seen, I think. And that's the that's part of it, too. Because like, you said it earlier, Brian, but it's like so much of it is like, what is, what's the what's the end game here? Like, what are we getting to? What are we driving toward? Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the point? In some senses, it almost feels like, at least this film, the 2021 one, it almost feels like it doesn't have a plot. Like, it's almost a slice-of-life experience of things going to shit. At least for me. And I love it for that. Because I love the slice-of-life stuff. I think it's so cool that there's so much lore there but the film doesn't like try to overwhelm me with it. Like it's there if you want to take an interest in it, and then you can go look that up if you want to and know about it. But it's just it's so dense. There's so much to it. Like when I think about what what's the thing in the book, Jeff? Like the whole point, the whole reason Baron Harkonnen and just House Harkonnen has an issue with the Trades was something to do with like some other war and like some family member got killed or something like that, right? Right, it's not like really explained. It's more explained in the prequels of Dune, like oh, House of okay. Trades and House Harkonnen, which is one of Brian Herbert's and Kevin J. Anderson's works. So I don't really know. I just know it has something to do way back in the day where there was – actually, I do know there was oh, nice. some battle where I think they were working together, and House Atreides wanted to pull out some men to save – like save a thousand – or like sacrifice a thousand. No, no, no. They wanted to save a thousand – Right and sac and like eventually that would lead to more death. Whereas Harkonnens were like, no, kill, let them die, mm-hmm. right, and save the millions or whatever. Or yeah, it anyway. sounds right. No, I got you. Yeah, and Atreides was like, uh, no, I don't want to leave anyone behind. And then he was like murdered, and then something really bad happened, and everyone died, and that like the whole thing was blamed on the Harkonnens. So there was some uh, some family feud, yeah, from long ago. But the main thing is. Uh, because they're feuding, they can invoke the right of Canley. So, like, they're sparring and fighting against each other is totally sanctioned uh, throughout the Imperium or whatever through this right of Canley, they call it. So, yeah, just a, mm. a grudge, uh, a vendetta, as he says it in the in the movie. So, yeah. <laughs> I think I think if you're somebody listening to this podcast, chances are you're not listening to this podcast if you didn't like the movie. But if you're somebody listening to this podcast who didn't like the movie or you thought, eh, it was okay or it's overrated or whatever – I feel like, you know, at least in my personal experience, you just you got to be the type of person that wants to investigate these things, that wants to think on it, that wants to give it repeated viewings, repeated shots because mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is the original Blade Runner and I've watched I watched the original Blade Runner I want to say upwards of 5 times before I liked it. And I honestly thought it was garbage. I mean, I I, I knew that it was like critically loved and praised and a cult classic. But I was more in that camp of just like, I don't care what people say, this movie sucks. Because every time I watch Blade Runner, I'm like, it's slow, it's boring, it's not that interesting. And I would just watch it. And then a couple years have passed by, and I watch it again. And somebody talked to me about how great it is, and I watch it again. I just kept thinking it sucked. And I can think of other movies and video games were like that. Like just uh, the last podcast, I told Josh that um, I didn't like The Elder Scrolls at first. I thought it, I thought it was <gasps> garbage, you know, because I was just like, and I'm not talking about, this is before <laughs> like, Skyrim. Yeah, this is like Morrowind, Oblivion. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, it's janky. It's there's too much going. It's not very, it doesn't hold your hand at all. But repeated tries got you into it. So if you're somebody who watched Dune and just thought, oh, this sucks, I'm not really into it. 
that's fine. Like it's just entertainment, so there's there's no requirement for you to go watch it again or give it a second try. Like it's just, at the end of the day, it's just entertainment. Right. But if you have any desire to like Dune, I would say watch it again, read up on it, you know, investigate it a bit because it's like like when I walked out of Dune 2021, I was like that was good. I liked it, but now I'm like that was phenomenal. I loved it just because of taking the time. And it to made you want to like. Look at everything, wiki everything, and yeah, exactly. And I, I think that you know, and this is not—I don't mean to throw any shade at MCU because I love MCU. I, I don't want MCU to change. Like I legitimately want MCU to keep doing what they're doing. Right. But MCU is designed for a different audience. It's a different type of movie. It's there to be a popcorn flick, fun. You know, just go have a great time, and just prepare yourselves for the next one. And I love that it's doing that. It's doing that so well. But it doesn't offer the same things. Dune does, and Dune doesn't offer the same things that the MCU does. So, I mean, just like, I don't know, I saw uh, it was an article or a tweet going around where somebody's complaining, they're like, wow, you know, like, uh, I watched Dune, there was one joke at the beginning about Paul Atreides' arm being being <laughs> yeah. strong, and then, and then the whole rest of the movie, there wasn't a single other joke, and then someone, like, tagged that and was like... I don't know. For me personally, it was nice to be able to watch a movie without a freaking quip every other five seconds like in an MCU film. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I get that because I'm like, it is when I go to see an MCU film, I want those little funny quips and jokes. But sometimes I want to watch a movie and just immerse myself and and be lost in thought about it. And that's what something like Dune does. And I'm glad that it's not constantly. I would it would suck if like, you know, uh, Paul and uh, Jessica in the tent and like Paul's like, how are we going to get out of this one, Jess? Am I right? Like, (laughs) like, keep it. I want, this is a different type of movie. Like not Desert everything power, has am I to right? be. Yeah, and I get that. That's also why you have directors coming out of the woodwork, like Martin Scorsese, who are saying like, "Oh, MCU is not real film." Probably because they're salty, understandably, because Martin Scorsese can spend all this time like crafting yeah. a, a, you know, a script and, 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 and making oh, the story and putting this movie out. Yeah. And he puts this movie out that he's worked so hard on as a passion project, and he gets like maybe it makes two hundred million at the box office. And then MCU, even though it's a ton of work, through his eyes, it looks like MCU shits out a sequel and it gets a billion. And he's just like, come on. Like, this follows the same structure and format as the last 20 MCU movies. That's where he goes, oh, this isn't film. It's totally film. It's just for a different audience. Cry harder, Martin. Yeah. (laughs) Man, we literally just had this conversation. I like the MCU right now because it's it's just now starting to reach the abstract of like multiple timelines and you know mm-hmm. different universes, especially with Loki and stuff like that, and everything that's coming soon, which is yeah. really cool. But yeah, Dune. The only time we laughed when we seen it was because some guy laughed at that joke where he's like, "You put on some muscle, no?" And some guy was like, and we, "We just we just laughed because that he laughed. joke was for that one guy. They put yeah, that really was movie like, for him." You- he genuinely yeah. laughed like he had not ever watched the trailers, of which that scene was in every single one of, every TV right. spot, everything for that. That guy's like, oh, I've never seen that. <laughs> he, laughed, we he, just, he started popcorn. dying. He puts his hand in his popcorn, he looks over the person with me like, this is going to be good, I can tell. <laughs> and then he, I think how disappointed he is an hour later and there's no more jokes. Right. An hour and a half He's later, like, no more it's jokes. It's funny again, right? Still amazing, but yeah, like I said, when we left... It doesn't leave you feeling any other way other than, like, you were totally invested or you thought it was bad. Yeah. And it's, like, fair to say you still walk out of it at least thinking about it, regardless yeah, of which, it's, it's, like... It's, it's great. Like, you know, we talk about how it doesn't really end. You know, it just kind of, like, it ends without a proper ending, but, like... This is only at the beginning. I, I do feel it, it kind of ends the same way Fellowship of the Ring does. The difference is 
I mean, I don't know what stages we all went and saw those films in, but for the most part, when we finished Fellowship of the Ring, we were able to go into two two towers, you know, like for the most part, most of our lives. And maybe if you saw it in theater, that wasn't the case. But like with Dune, I mean, I think that's how it's going to be. It seems that Denis Villeneuve, you know, Lord willing, is going to be able to do the second part. You know, when we're talking about this years from now, are we going to really feel that bad about how part one ends? I mean, because we'll know that, oh, you just pop well, the yes. disc and here's... <laughs> Jeff saying yeah well I just I think it's like how you just we always we keep comparing it to the Lord of the Rings or whatever but yeah especially Fellowship what do we just say at work where it's like uh, this it's like he cut it off like before the Council of Elrond you know what I mean it's like Mm -hmm. I got the ring I'm on my way you know what I mean Mm -hmm. Uh, or you know other than like oh I have a I have a set goal time to accomplish it was more like cut it off before we saw what the goal was you know I do I do forget about that point times because when i first saw it in theaters had no preconceived notions that this was even based off a book like when i'm seeing fellowship of the ring no knowledge whatsoever i'm just like this is another medieval fantasy blockbuster that's in the theaters and then they're like you know sam has that line you know and uh, they, they look all they look off over the mountain and you see mountains that's what in i the compare distance. it to and i remember thinking in that moment like what you guys doing like what's next and then the movie ends and i was like that's the end of the movie, and still, even like the hour, you know, afterward, where I'm walking out of theater, going home, whatever, I'm still thinking like there's no other sequel, and I'm like, well, I hope there's a sequel. I'm like, well, what the heck was the point? And then I find out it's the books. Then I catch up on the lore, and I find out what happens. But it definitely left me in a in a state of like, what? Well, what was the point of the movie then? See, that's, that's more the perspective I, I come from because it leaves Frodo and Sam like out looking towards Mount uh, Mount Doom, and like. Okay, this is where we're. This is the beginning. We're on our way. That's how I saw Dune personally. I was like, you know, this is only the beginning. We're on our way to the oh, yeah. story. That's but you know, your point, to, your point too. Uh, to be fair, Jeff, is that Lord of the Rings kind of gives you it. Kind of gives you a lot more meat in Fellowship than Dune really gave you here. You know, yeah. honestly, and you know what? I keep forgetting that you came in like I did the '84 version with a fresh take yeah. you know what i mean no context no exposition no you know years of research like True. i did so i understand yeah. i'm a little upset or salty honestly they should have cut it at the after the spice orgy yeah probably after that. <laughs> is that, that is that is that something that that wasn't in the movie is what you're saying no it's not it's How? in the book and it like happens pretty much after that okay but uh i would say as a tldr Paul and Chani and uh, Chani, they have a shared like vision of the future, and then they fuck. That would have been great, great moment to leave off on. No, I'm just yeah. they don't. Then they don't. And then that's a is it explicit it's, in the book? No, not at all. Nothing is explicit. Is it one of those things where they just it. kind of like skim past the details and stuff, or like totally? Okay. And then there's a time jump, and they don't even they don't conceive. Then that was just a joke. I'm just kidding. Well, but they me if I'm wrong, but I I think I'm pretty sure in one of the final books it might be from Brian and Hebert. I think there is some like real crazy sex slave stuff going. Yep, on. there is stuff in yeah. Chapter House, which I haven't gotten there yet. You know what I mean? So <laughs> try and keep my mind yeah. open to that kind of stuff. But we'll see. Uh, yeah. I heard it is. It get, does get weird though. I don't okay. understand what the fascination with this in like different movies and like. I showed my Erica had never seen The Matrix when I married her just a couple years ago. Oh, so okay. I showed her. Nice. I showed her Matrix One. She really loved it. We walked. We started. Um, the was it Revolutions the sequel, right? Uh, yeah. Reloaded. It's, reloaded. Oh, my yes. bad. Reloaded. Yes. Um, we started Reloaded, and there's literally like a giant orgy in that film. Like it doesn't show <laughs> yeah. it, 
really, except for like some half nude like Keanu Reeves and, and Trinity or whatever, like making out. But there's just basically this giant, and we never finished yeah. that movie. And then we never, and then we, oh my God. <laughs> first time. And then we never watched the third. So I'm like, it was okay. kinda, I, think, I think for my wife, it was just kind of like, what happened? Like we got Matrix 1 and then like now we're like half hour into Matrix 2 and there's like this giant orgy thing going on it with this city it was, it was weird i don't i don't know like the I love how the I, distinction here is brian's like eh, i don't know i don't understand and then jeff's like i loved it well like, it's like you know i'm a big game of thrones fan i'm like so much of this stuff doesn't need to be there guys like i don't need like well i thought the trinity this, and, and you know. keanu uh or uh, neo thing was was beautiful though i thought i thought that was well done but i i hadn't seen it in so long either because i don't think there was any of that in they were Revolution prepping for battle that was the last thing they were gonna fuck i personally wouldn't call it beautiful but it didn't affect me either <laughs> But yeah, no, um, nice. but like going back to Dune with that stuff, you said, well, okay, so it goes to get to the Spice Origin stuff like that. Wasn't how far between that and him becoming emperor or whatever? Like, is there still a ton of stuff that happens between? Yes, so much. So then, okay, they get accepted in the siege. Jessica has to do the Spice Agony where she transmutes the water of life. And then she like ingests a bunch of uh, a baby, baby worm bile. And then Ugh. she th- she transmutes it, and it goes into detail about her like breaking down the chemical structure and reforming it into something new. Then she throws it all back up, and then everyone drinks it and gets fucked up, and has uh, and all the fremen have slight prescience because the spice. And then that's where in him and Chani, he goes on like a drug trip. Chani's there, and she's telling him about her visions of the future, about them being together, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Then there's a like a two three year cut where he turned uh, I can't I remember that it's like exactly three years okay yeah huge I, I thought cut it was two time. but you could be you're probably right because I think he goes from fifteen to eighteen but I think okay. they specifically say that they've been fighting for two years but it ends uh, after three and he's okay. like you know what I mean so like two and a half years that time goes by but yeah he, he uh, you know he rides a worm he has to call out Stilgar and uh, he also does the spice agony himself and becomes Quizatch Hedrick. Yes. Oh yeah. So tell Fair tell yeah. tell Brian because I was telling him about this, but you'll be able to tell him better. So give me a comparison real quick of like how the book and like it seems like the 2021 well the sequel will end with Paul, whereas the 84 film did the whole rain thing. So well, also go back to my rankings of the movies. I would give the just real quick the 84 spice diver fan edit on youtube it's on the youtube right now it's three hours long that's a nine out of ten that's amazing it follows the book almost perfectly it's really good and they revamp a lot of stuff they change a lot of stuff but it's an added like 40 minutes of footage you know where did that come from anyway yeah uh no hell yeah it's good what i've seen so far but yeah i think i'm sorry what was your question well, like, tell Brian about, like, how in the 84 one, what they do with the rain and, like, why that's okay. a big deal. Because why, why that would not probably happen in this one, in right, the next the, one. Right, most of 84's, uh, Lynch's version is faithful, except for the weirding way turned into the weirding modules and the ending. The ending when he, he's already Maudib at this point, he's already the Kwisatz Haderach, but right at the end, like, at the very, very end, when he becomes Emperor, he, like, raises his hand up in the sky and summons rain from the sky, which is, like, something that the Fremen want, but not right now, because Rain is also the death of worms. It's literally a poison against them. And even Duke Leto, or Leto II, is like, if a person touches him with their hand, there's so much moisture, it burns him. Like, that's how sensitive the worms are to moisture. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. He, rain on a racket. So you're going to kill all the worms, kill all the spice. The spice will not flow. You know, it's, it's <laughs> terrible. What Whereas I- in the book, yeah. you know what I mean? He joins 
Erwan in marriage or whatever, and then but he says like you will only be my wife, and immediately turns to Chani and's like she will not know anything of me other than my my name. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's purely for him to ascend. So yeah. So yeah, do, does it ever explain like how did the worms make spice? It's uh well okay, in the book it's explained as a, a secretion from the spice or they're called sand trout little small uh like a uh, weird like slug like things or they're almost like i don't know it's hard to describe but they're like miniature worms right um and there are millions like a sperms in this sack in the sand and their secretions and stuff build up and create pressure and uh, carbon dioxide in this huge bubble forms under the sand and the sand is like almost like water how it moves you know what i mean but that eventually rises up in a sand billow and spice um where yeah and where chani in the miniseries describes it more as like an embryonic sack and that's what spice is where but like millions of sperm semen uh sand trout go onto the surface and only like one or two survive to be a worm or shy got the biggest whereas the rest die right but yeah it's like they lay like millions at a time a huge clutch <laughs> whereas only like one or two will actually grow up to make a a giant worm but also they breed their own worms and keep little baby worms to drown to get the water of life which is weird because they treat them as gods they respect them they worship them but they also kill them but there's millions there's millions and millions of worms so it's well, like doesn't... whatever it's fair game okay so duke ladle the second doesn't he like get pushed in water or something like that you said isn't that how he dies or something yes if you want to know yes yeah because what happens is he breeds in the null gene so that uh humans can no longer be prescienced or have prescience and he gets killed by someone he specifically breeds like for that purpose but also he wanted his death to be a surprise but he also knew that if he were ever killed his body would revert to a protoform into the sand trout again and then spread out and become a shy halut again it's where it gets so trippy then, yeah yeah he knows he's gonna die he allows himself basically to die but it's still a surprise because he he willed it into existence in the first place by creating the null gene but it's also it's all to protect humankind but also his consciousness is separated into small pearls of wisdom inside every new worm hell yeah, yeah so, yeah. so See, trippy I, I, yeah the, when it's i first abstract. read when i first read that like he becomes a worm i'm just like i what is the like, obviously obviously because it's a fictional story it it can happen because the author wants it to but like what is the in universe explanation for how this human became a worm well the sand trout and it's explained in the first book that ki- children would pick them up and place them like if they ever found one it's like a sand trout i don't know how else to explain it like a, as a creature because it's hard to explain but they said when they place them on their hands they would like spread out and cover their entire hand to like absorb the moisture because small sand trout and small sand worms actually need water until they reach a certain point in which case water repels them and is like poisonous and toxic and kills them instantly so they like absorb water and Leto the second but okay they eventually die they'll fall off and die because like there's something in the blood you know what i mean that uh they can't be uh, satiated for too long for normal mm-hmm. humans. But Leto the second is uh, already pre-born, so saturated with spice melange that he's the only <laughs> one 
able to uh, to form. Well, first, he doesn't fully transform at first. He just collects a lot of them, and it creates like a still suit of uh, of like chitin, chitinous like armor. And it also mm. allows him to move incredibly fast and be super strong. So in Children of Dune, he's basically running around the desert like a superhero, like the Flash. Job of the Hutt would be out jealous. Of, zipping in and out of places. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it's basically wow. all these sand trout, and that's how a worm is made, is that many sand trout group together and create a segmented uh, uh, shy halud, and then they grow and grow and grow. Well, so that's what he does, is like years of collecting these sand trout he eventually does it. mutate him into a worm. Why does okay. he do it again? Is it because he like wants to, he wants to live for like thousands of years or something, right? Yeah, well, he sees, he has perfect vision, so he already knows what he's going to do in the future. So he knows he'll be the god emperor giant worm and he knows exactly how to do it so he follows his path perfectly okay it's just like and he already knows that from birth like in the womb he's fully conscious and shares his consciousness with his dad and even in dune messiah paul goes blind through a terrorist attack and but he's able to see still the future and the past through his son who's speaking to him as a baby from the future when he's an adult (laughs) okay yeah, Frank yep. Huber's mind, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it's it. Nuts, though. man. I love it though. Yeah, there's even there's a scene people where, listening like, to this babies. who are like, I was just saying, the people listening to this who are like, you know, I thought it was weird before, but now I'm like, I'm kind of scared. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's out there, but that's what I love about it. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Same here. I think I think the more it gets like into it, it definitely gets more trippy from the sound of it. Like I didn't even know until the other day that like Duke Leto. I thought I thought it went from Paul to Duke Leto's the second story, but then it goes to um, I keep, uh, I keep want to say Jason Idaho. What is his name? Duncan, Duncan Idaho. Yes, thank yep. you, Duncan yeah. Momoa. <laughs> yeah. Did you know about that, Brian? That there basically ends up being like like I think baby clones of Paul. Oh, there's a million Jessica. clones of Duncan Idaho. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Jason He's Momoa is the whole story. Get the money. Yeah. Yeah. The God Emperor even <laughs> kills one and is like, Oh, need another one. Cook me up a new one. <laughs> it's like that one was I'm telling you, Frank <laughs> Hebert must have been on some insane drugs his whole life. Dude was tripping. That dude was tripping. But you know <laughs> what? But yeah, Jeff, going back to what Brian said earlier too about cinema and stuff like that, how do you feel with this film in regards to cinema like do you want to see more of the, these sorts of films do you want like not just dune obviously but like blade runner and then like he was saying fury road or are you more like uh you kind of want this to be its own thing or what no I've, i'm all for it i thought mad max and blade runner 2049 i think that the my only takeaway with this movie is i was already too indoctrinated at that point you know what mm-hmm. i mean i came at it with a with a weird perspective mm-hmm. you know um Whereas people seeing it for the first time, honestly, he he condensed a lot of stuff. He took out all the political stuff, all the – well, not all of it, but most of it because mm-hmm. there's a lot of other stuff that happens like the dinner scene, right? All the cut cutaways to the Harkonnens and their deep stuff and even a whole Count Fenring is not even in this book. Fade, not even talked about. Princess Erlon, Emperor, totally left out. All that stuff left out to make it more digestible and I think he's doing like a, a set stratagem of like the chosen one story, kind of like Matrix, you know, uh, Star Wars, you know, just mm-hmm. – it's all about Paul and his journey, which is cool because it's easily digestible for most people, especially people just coming in as opposed to all the back and forth stuff with everyone else. But that's the whole thing about the book is that it's like, like you said, you like all the slow buildup and it's all the conversations between people because it builds all them up. 
and then everyone you know comes back later in a, in a certain way or dies or you know whatever mm-hmm. so yeah but i'm all for it uh like i said i just think that my judgment's a little askew because i'm already like fully invested in that universe and i've seen three different iterations of it so far you know so do you think i wonder do you think we'll get like do you think dune the film is going to have influence on films coming out in the future because you know what what was interesting is that Mad Max Fury Road came out, didn't make much money. I do think it made just barely enough to be like profitable, and that combined with critical praise had them in talks for a sequel, which I think is still technically on the board, but there was some like issue between George Miller and the studio. But I think there's supposed to still be a sequel. Actually, I think they announced recently this year a prequel. Anna Anna Taylor Joy is going to play Furiosa in some whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, A a younger Furiosa, (laughs) but. uh, just like not that's what I don't like about this whole resurgence is the casting choices for a lot of stuff. Like, why is Zendaya? Because she's in Spider Man. Because she's popular right now. Like, I I mean I'm why Anya I, Taylor I like Joy? Because she's popular right now. Yeah. It's like come on. But yeah, not but a you have like you had Fury Road that didn't make much money. Then you have Blade Runner twenty forty nine that actually did not make a profit at all. And then after twenty forty nine came out, there was an interview with Denny Villeneuve where he said something along the lines of, "He's like, yeah, I'm very proud of twenty forty nine." You know, I really like what I did, but he's like, if I keep making cult classic films like this that don't make any money, studios aren't going to hire me anymore, is what he said. And then he released <laughs> right, Dune, yeah. and then he released Dune, which made me go, did you listen to yourself? What's up with I'm that? Like, I feel like you, you didn't, you still made another cult classic type film here, even though it, it did turn out successful. So it seems to me like, you know, there's a reason that MCU films are a dime a dozen, and there's a reason that we don't get that many of these slow-paced films like this, because... MCU, they, they make billions sometimes, and, you know, Mad Max, the combined, the combined revenue, think about this, the combined revenue of Dune, and of course COVID is in play now, but, you know, Dune, Mad Max Fury Road, and Blade Runner 2049 didn't even make ha- like half of what Captain Marvel made in the box office. Gross. Isn't, and isn't that, disgusting? Like, Captain Marvel is, like, <laughs> was, Captain Marvel is one of the worst of the MCU. It made over a billion dollars, and then you have... Blade I still Runner like it. And Mad Max yeah, I'm in the minority. Dune can't apparently. come together to make a half a half a billion. Hardly, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just. So I, I actually, to answer my own question, I don't think Dune's going to influence film much because I think most studios are in for the money. This is obviously a passion project of Denis Villeneuve, and I think Legendary Studios that has sponsored seventy five percent of this film. I think oh, they nice. really want to see it through. But um, yeah, what do you guys think? Do you think this is going to change much for film films going forward? Or what do you think, Jeff? Um. I'm not sure how much it'll impact it because it's like, it's it's pure Denis Villeneuve style. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's it's. I don't know how anyone could replicate that in any way, but uh, like he almost, like I said, he really condensed it and turned it into like more of a just Paul's journey. You know, which I think is good. So I think his he's been influenced by you know cinema to to make it what it is into this adaptation. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say, mm-hmm. but um. Man, other than and I honestly think it reminds me a lot of Mandalorian, and I think that they like shot a lot of the scenes the same way they did in Mandalorian. So, like I said, I think this is more inspired by a lot of other things. I don't know what people could take away from this, other than maybe the soundtrack. You know what I mean? Hans Zimmer's score is really cool, and like the way they and some of the mixing, like the way they did the voice and stuff. You know what I mean? Was very powerful. But uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what they could take away. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know. I, I just 
It's hard. It's hard, you know. I it don't is. Know, but go ahead. Yeah. No, it is because it's just so abstract of a of a film in a lot of ways. Because it's just like it's it's cra- it blows my mind so much how for a film that's almost three hours that it's still cutting out so much from the book. And this is only yep. one half of the book. It's fascinating to me, but I love that it got the time to kind of build up its characters a bit, even though I think it's fair to say there is a lack of exposition with the characters because there's so much nuanced storytelling going on in this. But I love that. I think, honestly, if this film, I wouldn't say so much for this film, Brian, I would say if Dune Part 2 turns out very mm-hmm. successful, I would say then studios may get more... Um, they may be able, they may be more willing to roll the dice a bit on like taking the time with like book adaptations or movie stuff and like split them into two parts. Cause I mean, we get that with Harry Potter. We got that with like, I don't know. We get that. We get that with some other stuff. Yeah. So like, I don't know, but this one has got such a slow pace that if it does still make money, I think the studios would be like, yeah, let's just milk it then. Let's that's instead of like, let's just churn out what we can get as quick as we can get as low effort as we can get. Then I'd become like, well, then if people seem like they want this expositional shit where it's just really slow paced, then let's give them that if they'll start paying. But I wouldn't necessarily look for it to like be some night and day difference, like have some profound impact. But I think yeah. it just depends no, I mean, more think, on Dune 2. I think that's a good point about Dune 2. But I mean, even then, I, mean, I do think you're right. I think Dune 2 is going to be more of a, a telling of that. But I think my answer is just still the same even after what you guys said and what you guys said pretty much agrees with me is that I don't think it's really going to have much effect on film going forward because I think I think it's obvious the the track record has shown that these films just don't they're not hugely profitable for the studio. They might be critically praised, they might be well, people might really right. appreciate them, but it's just not for for money's sake it's just not there. I mean, you well, look at that's why like a lot of people have compared uh, Denis Villeneuve and, and Christopher Nolan, you know, as two two great filmmakers of our time. Mm-hmm. But Christopher Nolan has had a way to make his films still make a shit ton of money. You know, obviously Tenet didn't do too well, which is his recent one, but he's he's been able to craft these Thank visually you, these Thank visually you. amazing films and have them make money. So I think I think if in time Denis Phil I love I respect him so much that he has these passion projects. And actually, I saw an interview with him. Uh, 2049 was not a passion project for him. He just they they approached him for it. So Dune's actually the one's passion project. But well, like, I'll say th- I don't think for his career, I think he's going to have to move away from this. Probably it's probably not going to affect things as much. But well, I'll say this: like I love, I look at this Dune, like yes, I know it's based off a book. Yes, I know there was like sci-fi series, the 84 film, and all that stuff. But I look at this as like almost its own thing, you know, just a book adaptation. And I'm so happy. And all the sequels and remakes and just recycled like content that we get, which we I know we get split on like some of this we love, some of this we don't. I'm so glad that Dune we can get something that feels more inherently original and it has its own sense of identity and how it yeah. tells its story in the cinemas and knowing that we're getting a part two and that he'd like to do at least one more after. That makes me excited because it's just it's nice to inject some like originality. In cinema right now, like, I feel like that's always been a thing, to be fair. I mean, you know, like, in the 90s, we got something like Leave it to Beaver, a movie that was like, a you know, an adaptation, a remake of the television show. <laughs> we got we got so many things like that. I mean, that's just off the top of my head. It's such, it's such an obscure movie. But, like, we got so many things like that in the 90s still. It's still happening. It's always kind of happened. But we're seeing it more now. But at the same time... You know, I, it still feels like it's getting a bit overcrowded, a bit overstuffed with remakes and stuff and and, uh, and reboots and whatnot. So I hope 
I hope that um, people go see this. I hope people will watch it on HBO Max. Just talk about it. I love the water cooler talk. I'm loving seeing the memes right now. I love that it's just relevant, and I'm just savoring it while it is until the second one comes out because it's nice to see something. Like, I honestly expected this film to come out and most people to kind of hate on it because they didn't understand it. Most people to, like, make jokes and meme it in the in the sense that, like, this is stupid. It's terrible. It's really bad. Like you see with a lot of things, like Buzz Lightyear, that trailer is getting like meme to death now because people are like, he doesn't have a buzz cut. What's up with that? And people, you know, and people are having fun with it. But I'm glad that Dunes is more like positive memeing, more positive like water cooler talk reception. And people who didn't like it are still like, oh, maybe I need to see it again, or maybe I need to listen to the audiobook or read it or whatever. I thought it would bomb. I yeah. really did. I think 2049 is a much more approachable film than Dune. Like it's not okay. Even I can see oh, that. Yeah. I can definitely see that for sure. Yeah, but this no. film is like you know, it's like a mystery. Uh, mysteries in space. You know, you're like, what the fuck is happening the whole time? <laughs> That's the thing is, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm. I want to say I'm positive, but I'm not. I'm 99.9 percent sure. But I'm pretty sure Dune already has made more money in the middle of a pandemic. With HBO Max, then 2049 made out of a pandemic in its entire lifetime. Oh, that's wild. Yes, I, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think Blade Runner 2049 ever hit 200 million. I love you, period. Blade Runner 2049. You know, so I, I don't get it because like 2049 is not that hard to understand, and it has no. Ryan Gosling and other big actors in it. But uh, maybe just because of the behind you know, it, I, it might must just be because it was a sequel to Blade Runner, which was also not a you know Blade Runner. Well, was not a I, think, at all, I think that's what it is. Probably right. It's probably the fact that it was a sequel to something already established whereas dune is like the first one so people can go see this and they don't have to worry about catching also lots of jared leto in the marketing and he was just the joker prior so it was like people are like Ugh, you know well i thought that was great me in that, though yeah that was one no of the he, no, he is liked him, yeah. he is great in it but i remember when i thought because well, like not knowing anything when blade runner 2449 was first announced i thought okay here's a cheap cash grab sequel with a with a with a plain title you know they threw 2049 on the end and then you got the guy who just played the Joker and then nobody liked and was like, oh, this is going to be good. And then Creighton, I remember Creighton, my brother, was just like, I got to go out and see this. I'm going to go see it. And he went and saw it. And he came back and he's like, I think that might be the best movie I've ever seen. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, it's amazing. <laughs> and he and he and the only way he got me to go see it, because I didn't like Blade Runner 1 at the time. I'd seen it like six times didn't like it, was he said, I'll pay for your ticket. And we went and saw it. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. this is really good. So, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It was Hell a really yeah. good movie. Yeah, Denny, Denny Villeneuve, one of the best directors of our time, in my opinion. I would say he is, like, for current day, I'm not going to say overall because it's, stuff changes so much, but for current day, he, he probably is my favorite director. And that's not because I just saw Dune. It was because of Prisoners. It was because of Enemy. It was because of Arrival and Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Christopher Nolan would be up there, of course. Like, I want to say Peter Jackson because Lord of the Rings is my favorite film of all time, but <laughs> as a whole, Peter Jackson really isn't anywhere in my top for for directors so i yeah. denny villeneuve is amazing i think everyone check this out let's go for final scores for this movie i know jeff already gave his give it again jeff what's your final score give us and i don't know if there'll be any difference but give us your subjective and your objective you know what you feel about this movie personally and what you really think it is out of 10 and we'll go around all right my subjective i would say my personal feelings on the movie i'd give it probably a six out of ten because it okay. really did cut off in a weird spot other than that i thought it was great but also missing a lot of context, uh, you know, not so much exposition, more context. Uh, but yeah, uh, then objectively, I would say like eight or out of, out of ten, it's a really good movie. You know, okay. undeniably a really good fair. movie. 
my my niece watched it and I asked her I was like what do you think of it she's like I really liked it and I was like oh what'd you like she's like I don't know but it was good I'm like, yeah that's fair that's, that's how so I awesome. felt when I finished the movie yeah exactly that's how it leaves everyone with the same thing so yeah, yeah. it's it's objectively good first sure. about you Josh yeah no 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 I'd, I'd say probably subjectively um I think around a seven out of ten I think I think I loved well I loved the movie but I liked it right away but the love part kind of came about in a roundabout way because I knew so much that I was able mm-hmm. to fill in the blanks and stuff like that. I would like I don't think people watching, even if someone's explaining to them on screen, this is like spice melange is spice melange. I don't think people will necessarily grasp all that because it's so much. Like you said um, once, Brian, you're like you know it's Quizach Hatterack and Benny Jesuit and all these different names and stuff to pick up on. It's kind of tough your first mm-hmm. time around. But subjectively, yeah, what did I say? Seven out of ten. Yeah, yeah, I'd say seven out of ten because it's like I still really liked it. The ending did like I feel like it it ended in a good spot, but I also don't know as much about the back half. I just know the TLDR. But on the other hand, to play devil's advocate, it also did feel kind of underwhelming because it's just it ends up just being this like skirmish, this little fight. But yet I get the significance of it too. I don't know. I go back and forth, but seven out of ten subjectively, objectively, probably. Man, I almost am at a seven. I want to say eight out of ten because I would say great cinematography, uh, great acting, and I think there needed to be that considering this was the, the type of film he wanted to tell here was much more um, almost reminded me of Drive in the sense of like Drive has so much of a silent film kind of element to it and how much is conveyed with like the characters don't speak as much. It's not a dialogue heavy film, you know. Mm-hmm. This one does have its moments, but there's other times when they're not relying on the dialogue for contextual purposes. They're they're relying on the the narrative, the visions, and so much, and it leaves you walking away like asking questions. And I like when a movie can ask you questions and be a Pandora's box, but. Sometimes you have like the glass half empty or half full with that. Whereas like with Force Awakens, it's like, well, this was Pandora's box in the sense of like doesn't necessarily have everything planned out. Whereas with this, it's like if you go look it up, you're going to find out you're going to have those answers for the most part. But like I love it for that. I love it. So I'd say eight out of ten. It's it's a damn good film. It's not perfect, but it does leave you thinking. And I think that's great. I love it for that. Yeah, now, now I feel like the plea with the group because my scores are definitely higher than your guys's. Um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But uh, I would say, objectively, I would give it a 9 out of 10. Um, nice. And I feel more confident about my score on that because the funny thing is, when the movie, first time I saw it in the theater and the credits rolled, I was sitting in the theater thinking, what the heck did I just watch and how do I feel? And, you know, I thought I'd like this more. And I immediately opened Letterbox and gave it a nine, or gave it four and a half stars. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Despite feeling that way. And then as I went and watched it further and read stuff, it's only confirmed more to me that, that to personally, you know, for my objective score, that it was a nine out of ten. Like, I feel like my instincts were, were correct That's on awesome. that one. Uh-huh. Um, but then, uh, subjectively, it's a ten. <laughs> it's a ten. I just, <laughs> You're like, I, I love it. I mean, it's Hell just, yeah. uh, I didn't feel this way coming out of the theater but on several rewatches i i feel like it's one of my favorite movies i've ever watched i mean why do you suppose that is for me well it's a couple things one it's extremely rewatchable like everything in my life i put a huge importance on replayability repetition like if it doesn't have rep- that's like for instance like the witcher 3 one of the best games i've ever played uh it ranks really low for me in a sense because 
I don't ever feel like I want to replay it. Even when I've tried to replay it, I just don't want to. You know, and like when I play Halo, it's like, okay, I'm ready for my 78th playthrough, you know? So like (laughs) repetition matters to me. I watch Lord of the Rings all the time. So Dune, it's so rewatchable to me. The universe fascinates me. I love Denny Villeneuve's filmmaking. You know, I already had Blade Runner 2049. Like on my letterbox, you can list your favorite movies. And under Lord of the Rings, I I already had 20, I've had 2049 up there for years. So it's kind of gives me, you know, those vibes again. Um, I'm just gonna, movies that make me think and completely draw me into the world. Uh, that's just that I don't know. And there's, I don't have any nitpicks. Yeah, that's that's one thing too. Is like, and I, I think at least Josh, I think for sure can can agree with me on this. Like a lot of times we get really nitpicky about the things that sometimes like Josh or I will have something that bother us that's kind of ridiculous. Like, um, oh yes, I've, okay, we're all it, similar in this way. For, for, you, for, for, for like for instance, for me, I always want to put The Dark Knight up there is one of my favorite films of all time, but I cannot get over Rachel Dawes being played by Maggie Gyllenhaal in the second film. I can't. I, I know it doesn't matter. I know it doesn't matter how much it's ridiculous. I cannot get over it. So that always affects my opinion of the film. Um, Why so though? Or you just don't like Maggie or no, it's two, it's two things. I already, t- I did touch on the Batman film. One is that it was, she was played by Katie Holmes in the film prior. And I hate when they change yep. the actors, hate it. And then second of all, they don't even convince me. They don't even make me care for her because I, I'm not attracted to her, which sounds super conceited, but let's be <laughs> fair here. How many movies have been made where the only reason you care about the female character isn't because of her acting, it's because they've made the men watching the film fall in love with her because she's attracted. That's just the facts of the matter. You can hate me for it, people listening, but it's just true. It's not like uh, it's not like Kirsten Dunst was this phenomenal actor in the first Spider-Man. No, I was a little kid, and I fell in love with her, and that's why I cared about her so much. Maggie Gyllenhaal, she replaced Katie Holmes, She's and so it's not the same actress, and then I also just don't find her, like, too attractive. So so that's like a nitpick for me. But anyways, that's that's more to explain the fact that I have no uh, nitpicks Maggie Gyllenhaal hate train. <laughs> no, it's like, no, and I, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal, I think she's a great actress. I think she's better than Katie Holmes. But I just and also I think she is like a good looking woman on a very base level. I just don't <laughs> Damn. like you guys are making me look like like Brian, you're doing this to yourself. No, I'm just like it's just like if they put Love they you, put Brian. like these really attractive women in film just to make a guy wanna see it, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't I feel like Maggie Gyllenhaal cut that. She just Maggie Gyllenhaal looks like someone that I would work with. She just looks like a normal normal person. <laughs> You know, I hate you guys. But anyways, uh, movies like Dune, movies like Mad Max Fury Road, movies like um, Blade Runner 2049, I have no nitpicks. And that that makes the film for me when there's like Lord of the Rings. I have no nitpicks, you know, so uh, that's why it's a 10 for me subjectively. But you guys, anything else you want to say before we just uh, get out of here? No, yeah. no, no. (laughs) What a way to end. No, I love it, though. No, I I get it, though, man. I think that's awesome, Brian, because I think. I think I know you definitely like those types of films that leave you thinking and stuff like that and also have its own world. Like I think mm-hmm. I think this film specifically does still manage to do a good job of like giving you just enough, you know, of the spice to like make you curious about this universe. Like you see Gady Prime and you don't even really see much of it at all, but you get a little just a little taste of it and you're like 
man, like, I want to see more of it. What is the significance of this planet? Yeah. And then, you know, you see, like, um, a Caladan, and you're like, oh, it's got all these, you know, oceans and stuff like that. And it's like, well, that's interesting. That's distinct. And then you get to Arrakis, where, you know, all the main stuff goes down. It's like desert planet. And then you see some of the Star Wars inspirations and stuff like that. I think it's cool because it's also distinct. It's also unique in its own way. It pulls you in. It's not It's not a perfect film by any, film, uh, by, by any means. And yeah, I and think I we're all in agreement. We went in thinking maybe this could potentially be considered a masterpiece because we all agree that that word does get abused yeah. a lot, but we all came out of it feeling like it's good, but it's not a masterpiece. It's not a masterpiece. I, I didn't even say the reason I give it an objective 9 out of 10 is because two things. One, I think it does struggle throughout the film to convey its its concepts and its, its terminology to its audience. And then the ending just sure. is the ending is too abrupt for... Even if, you know, you're somebody like, I, it's hard to say because like you got somebody like Jeff who knows what happens after that ending mm-hmm. and that hurt it for him because he knows what comes next and it quit. But then you have someone like me who didn't know what comes next, but it still hurt the film because you're like, oh, I didn't realize it was over. So it really just, you know, it's, it's kind of always going to suffer from that a little bit. So th- yeah, it's not perfect. It's not a masterpiece. I really, I struggle with calling almost anything on this earth a masterpiece. I know. I, I do call, I would say the Lord of the Rings trilogy is a masterpiece. Obviously, I'm biased. Jeff, real but. quick. I'm sorry to interrupt, Brian. We were talking about this at work, and I was like, we were trying to, we were actually getting pretty stumped on what we consider masterpieces. What, what was one or two that came to your mind, Jeff, for a film? Could be a I think movie we or agreed. Or... Lord of the Rings, and uh, for me, I think my top pick was Gladiator. Oh, you nice. know what I mean? Yep. For like just a true masterpiece that I can recall off off memory. Mm-hmm. But a more recent one we talked about later, I'm going to put it out there. Zack Snyder's Justice League, you know, Hell four yeah, hours dude. of fucking awesomeness. And it was a miracle that that even happened in the first place. So I'm just saying if that's just my personal. We got opinion, two people sorry. in the community. I know specifically that'll be like, amen, brother. Yeah, nice. That, you just made the whole episode for him. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, true. what's a masterpiece for you? Jurassic Park. Okay. Hell yeah. That's a totally good. I agree. Agreeable. I love Actually, that movie. And despite it's me not having, despite <laughs> me not having the ties to that film as well. I, I mean, I grew up with it too, but like not loving it as much as you. I, I would say that's probably a fair masterpiece. So I know you, it's, it's you, hard. You to wouldn't say Lord of the Rings, Josh. No, I probably would. I probably okay. would. Honestly, like I, I, I can't really. The nitpicks I find in it when I rewatch those movies are honestly just some of the slow chug camera work that they that was kind of common for that time in cinema like those don't those moments where it has like a stutter effect doesn't quite hold up as well but like it's so it's such a nitpick i mean it really is it's like mm. goes back to what you said so what's a, what's I, a video game you guys would call a masterpiece mm. ooh that's a good question shout out to colossus that's a that's a i actually like that, think that, that's, that, that that's a, i like oh i like that's that fair. that's a good one actually <laughs> yeah. for all those listening you know uh, i actually don't think there is a single halo game in existence as a masterpiece so no it's not halo for me I would say Ocarina of Time is. Oh a yes, that's a good one mm. for sure. You know, uh, a masterpiece, a legend. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's really tough for of me. Zelda. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> I could, uh, I'd probably say, oh, man, I I feel like I'd probably get a lot of hate for it, but I'm gonna say Last of Us Two. I'm gonna say Last Ooh, of okay. Us Two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm gonna go with that one. I know that's I know that's more fairly recent, but. Uh, yeah, for a lot of reasons, but I do an eyeball on that one itself sometimes. So, yeah. But yeah, no, definitely go with cool. that. Cool. All right, guys. Well, uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode on Dune. Jeff, thank you for being here. Do you want to plug your stuff, Jeff, or your Twitter or whatever? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at uh, Etrigan Wizard. That's it. How do you spell Etrigan that? Etrigan Wizard. Just Etrigan Wizard. Or 
T R I G A N Wizard. Okay. Very cool. Hell yep. yeah. We're, we're following him on there, so you can check it out through there. But, guys, let us know what you thought of Dune. Like, you can send an email, voice clip, just come into the Discord. Let us know what you thought of Dune. Did you like it? Did you not? Did you like the, the sci-fi show better? Did you like the 1984 original? We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, guys, thank you so much for being here on this oddball episode of Dune. And, as always, keep it sacred.